Kevin, I'm Paul. We're here to give you some B-plus sports talk and a few <laughs> cultural musings. Kevin, on the cultural musings front, you've got some news for me that you wanted to save for the podcast. You said you wanted to bounce something off me that you found amusing. Let's start bouncing. What you got, man? So you know that I've, I've uh, tried to listen to you and so many of my friends, and I'm like, God, there's so many good movies I've missed out on. Because I went with percentages, I just stopped watching a lot of them, and I've got a list, and I've kind of started to get through that list a little bit, and I've realized, man, I missed out on a lot of good stuff. The good thing is it'll always be there, so I just got to stay alive, right? Um, right. And then keep on checking them off, and then I'll call you and other friends, and, and y'all laugh. said, yeah, that's why I said 15 years ago you should have watched it. Well, I watched it now, and I want to talk about it. Um, but I'm not sure this is going to be one of those. However, I was just interested by the title, and more importantly, who is playing a specific coach? So it's a sports movie. That's one thing that will usually get me in there. I've seen a bunch of those. And it's going to be called Home Team. Home Team. Got any thoughts on that? Okay. And it's about Home Depot. <laughs> right. No, it's actually a movie that's made about Sean Payton's time coaching his son's sixth grade football team in 2012 when he was suspended for Bounty Gate. Oh, yeah. When he got the Bounty Gate suspension from our old pal uh-huh. Greg Williams, father of the Zero Blitz. Right. Who he also hired knew all that was going on. So they're going to spin him being really kind of a shady coach and a bad guy at that time. For for what he was doing for his team's sixth grade team or his son's sixth grade team. All right, I'm I'm, I'm I like the hook. This is an interesting. We we've seen this movie before. There's a formulaic right. aspect to it, right? Yeah. The big time Hollywood director who directs his kids' school play, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen this in different forms. So go on. I'm intrigued. I'm hooked. Oh, this is where it gets good because that's just okay, and we would move on. So guess who's playing Sean Payton? Uh, Sean Payton, circa 2012. Not a bad-looking guy, uh, younger about, then. So I would say if you can do a little re-imaging, we could do a Kevin Costner. That's a good Kevin Costner flick. I can see that. I can see, definitely see that. I can see Ryan Gosling. You just got to oh, part the good, hair. Nicely done. Okay. Nicely done. Who's the British guy who played one of the Bonds who definitely had the, the comb over or that type of hair? Daniel Craig. Yes, those two. See, I've been watching more movies. All right, all right. This, uh, this is an example. By the way, what Kevin did at the beginning of that in the intro, he has not undersold that. Kevin no. is the guy who will call you and go, you know what movie Al Pacino was really good in? <laughs> the Godfather. <laughs> uh, I'm almost that bad. Luckily, I've you know seen what, The Godfather. You know what's a sci-fi fantasy that would be great for your son, Paul? <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> I still have only seen the three we saw as kids. I haven't seen the other six. You know what? You're not missing a great deal. So, but so go on. That's the whole thing. People have told me that. But they, people like you that I really trust have told me, hey, you got to see this. And usually I see it and it's good. I don't think this will be that. But So anyway, th- those are kind of the names that I thought of. I couldn't believe the, the actual guy who's playing Sean Payton in this, in this Netflix movie. It's going to be called Home Team. Okay. Kevin James. <laughs> Oh, of uh, King of Queens fame. Yes, in the movies uh, Grown Up, Mall Cop. The gentleman who looks nothing like Sean Payton and is known <laughs> for sort of fat guy mall humor. Yes, yeah, and King of Queens was not Seinfeld in terms of its brilliance. No, no, no. It was Leah Remini being sassy New Yorker wife and right. Kevin James being lovable everyman Ralph Cramden from the Honeymooners, right? It, exactly, and it played so well with what we talked about with commercials and so many sitcoms now. He was just so happy just to be around her and that she had actually it, said yes to him. If you're Carl's Jr. and you want an advertise, Kings of, King of Queens is for you. 
Yes. Yes, I hope all the Texans get that. But uh Kevin James as Kevin James Sean as Sean Payton. Now that's just a miscast, isn't it? They should have they, they should have cast rerun from what's happening. Right. I mean How about uh how about Gary Coleman? <laughs> <laughs> like who's playing who's playing Drew Brees? Sean Penn? There'd be too much hair. <laughs> Oh my God! Who's playing Greg Williams, Paul? You know more movies than me. A lot. Greg Williams, kind of crusty, big talking, like carries a, a big voice, small stick kind of guy, right? Yeah. Um, who should be Greg? Well, based on that casting, it should be uh, Anne Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would be woke. Uh, let me see. Okay, Greg Williams. What would be a good casting? Um, that's a tough one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe put a pin in that. I'm trying to think who would be a good, you know what? Philip Seymour Hoffman, RIP. If he were still around, he he could pull that off. He could pull. Yeah, he could. Greg Williams. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could pull that off. Um, shucks. Maybe, um, I've got a guy, but he's a comedian. How about Brian Regan? I mean, if you look at, oh. if you look at, I'm looking at images right now of Williams with the Saints. Kind of the hair, well, the face. The physical resemblance is useful, but you got to inhabit the, you got to be the inner asshole. And Brian Regan's known for being a clean comedian, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. You got to be Good the call. inner asshole. Good call. I, right, so, I, I tested your stand up knowledge and you answered. Well, I fucking dunked on you. <laughs> As long, right. as, as long as I didn't get posterized. I can, give you an, I can give you an equally insulting casting, and this will play right up your alley, because I hope you've seen this movie, okay. being a baseball guy. Jonah Hill in Moneyball. That is a great call, and I have seen that. And, of course, I read the book first. Paul De Podesta, right? Yeah, great great call and great movie, too. Did You, you enjoyed that movie, right? Of course. I've read the, I've read the book uh, multiple too. times. Yeah. I've seen the movie. It's a, a good adaptation. Um, yeah. Well done. Brad Pitt did a nice job. But Paul De Podesta, if you guys don't know, he, he's a Harvard grad. He's an economics grad. That is all true. Uh, but he's kind of a stud guy. He played football and baseball at Harvard. Uh, he's not just a nerd who doesn't know sports. He doesn't look uh, like they, Jonah Hill. No. And I think Paul was a little <laughs> upset by that casting, although Jonah did an outstanding so, job in the film. So who should be more upset, Paul with his character or Sean Payton. What do you think Sean Payton, who can be a hard ass, what do you think he really said to his wife in inner inner circle with this? I think he saw the royalty check and the potential of upside if he has some percentage on the back end, and he's like, you can cast freaking RuPaul in my role if, yeah. it, if, if I'm going to get the payoff. So, yeah, I don't think... Whoever sells, that. right? Hey, maybe Kevin James is like a trim 185 now and looking, looking svelte, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, maybe. And I was just thinking character, too. Yeah, sensibility. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. That's hilarious. All right, well, you know what we got to do now? What? We got to cast each other. Oh, great. Good or bad? Hey, you can do whatever. Choose whatever you want. Choose your own adventure. I, I think we need to try to. We can do a bad casting. We can do. How, what would offend you the most? Because I want to say that to you. Yeah, I know. Um, because I've told you before, when you were young, that you were a handsome lesbian boy. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, but I don't look like that anymore. So well, As you've matured and you've gotten more grizzled, your voice has gotten a little more smoky, and you've hung out in a few bars a little too late, and you've, <laughs> you've seasoned the skin and weathered yourself a little bit, now you're like a cross between Gary Busey and Tilda Swinton. I don't know who Tilda Swinton is. Gary, she is a Gary Busey doesn't offend me because it's so far off. She is a wonderful hoity-toity actress uh, <laughs> known for her androgynous roles as the ancient one in Doctor Strange. Uh, you're just paying me back for last week now. I am paying you back for last week. This is how you pay your, your penance. You know, I have gotten some comparisons, uh, but they, they trailed off as I've gotten older, unfortunately. Yeah, and I don't want to—I mean, I don't, I don't want to go there because I don't want to offend— um, you know, people with mental disorders, 
or just disorders oh. in general. Um, I mean, that is the easiest way to win an Oscar, I've heard. But Oh, yeah. We don't want to do the Tropic Thunder dialogue play, right now, do we? Play that character. I have no idea. I don't know actors well enough. Uh, when I was young, I used to hear Freddie Prinze Jr. as a favorable one. Yeah. He was he was I, in I all the teen see, films. I don't see that. Um, Your face is too rough. No offense. I mean, you guys. Well, look... bro, I've, I've aged. I said younger. Okay. Uh, I've also, I've heard uh, when my hair was really short, uh, Channing Tatum, if he let himself go to shit, is what I've heard. All right. So you just, so you just throw bullshit, rip ones at me, and then you compliment yourself? Well, that, I, I that's think a good segment. I think the emphasis there would be if he let himself go to shit. <laughs> I know. I understand. But that's still a leap, and we have to imagine. I don't, and I honestly don't even know who you're talking about. Have you ever seen The Mask? <laughs> I, I hope you're going to say Cher. Here's the deal. I hope you think I look like Cher. You're a mix between Cher and a better-looking Rocky. A Rocky Dennis? <laughs> how, do you, how have you seen the movie The Mask? And you don't know who Tilda Swinton is, and you've never seen all these other great films. Because because when you're young, you're bored. And, and Did your dad show that to you to help no, you? With like no, I was just stuck. I, I was in prison. That's what kids are. They're in prison. And it was a great, sure. it was a great prison, but you just have to, you're just at the mercy of whatever. And there weren't many we're options like, back then. So we're like, I could calculate Dave Winfield's OBP again, or I could yeah, watch this movie. Right. You can only masturbate so many times in, in a day. And you were eight. Well, yeah. People don't realize. Kevin, right. Kevin matured early. Very early. Very early. You should have seen my curveball at nine. <laughs> All 42 miles an hour of it. All right, dude. That was fun, actually. Um, what do you want to get to now? We, we couched that well enough. I think we can get to what is going on at the dish. And you know me. If you listened last week, I will get on the prisoner of the moment stuff. But... As it's happening real time, sometimes you just have to say, hey, I've never seen anything like that. Not that it's never happened before, but I've been watching Texas baseball for a long time. I don't remember any really any um, hot, hot power streak like this with Ivan Melendez. He's got seven home runs in his last six games. A D1 record is eight. And Texas wow. in general, yeah, the, the Texas in general is just crushing the shit out of the baseball. And they're hitting it so all, Kevin, all over the field. I thought. 14 home runs in the last six games. Is that correct? Uh, yes. And so is this, is, let me ask you, look, you're the baseball guy. You know it backwards and forwards. I have huge respect for your baseball knowledge. So I'm going to be the straight man here and just ask you a few questions. Is, is this power display, these guys coming into their own, guys like Cam Williams, Ivan Melendez. Uh, we've even had Antico. Antico. Uh, uh, Zubia, I mean, yep. they're all displaying power and bats. I mean, Melendez is off the charts. Is this a function of the opponent or the team or both? Uh, yes. Both. <laughs> okay, I got no, it. No, no, definitely both um, because cause the, the schedule has been backloaded. We're really going to find out what this team is, and I think they're good. I'm sold on that, and I've been, I've been slow on that because – I've just seen too many uh, too many teams. I mean, 99, they were ranked sixth in the country at one point. Now, it was a hell of a lot earlier than this, but still, they had won enough out-of-conference big series that you thought they would compete in the Big 12, and they just got smoked. And Augie was still trying to figure everything out. Next year, they'd go beat Arizona State in Super Regional, and it took off from there. So I kind of feel the program developing with Pierce, and he's changed a little bit. But more importantly, this team, they're resilient as hell. So I, I do yeah. trust this team. My only question is, is how legitimate are these bats once you face top-notch pitching? And that, that's okay. where things can really change. We know top-notch pitching, top-notch pissing. Top-notch yeah. top top pissing, pissing is, well, is you know, pretty cool, too. It's, it's when you've been holding it, holding it, holding it, holding uh, it. You're not sure you can make it. And then you uh, make it. And such then you're, a relief. Or you're, or you're not facing upwind. That's any time. <laughs> Well, you're right. Top-notch pitching is the antidote uh, for hitting, and it's proven out repeatedly in the College World Series, right? Augie used to talk about that when yeah. other teams in the Big 12 were putting up huge power numbers. He'd kind of chuckle and shake his head and said, he'd say, all right, we'll, we'll see what happens in the dish. And more often than not, you, they'd have like a ground rules double 
would be the, you know, in a three game series, that would be the top of their power production. And I remember that specifically, I went to a regional against Georgia tech back in the day and they were just power, power. You know, you see these crazy numbers from other conferences and the ACC were like eight of the nine guys in the lineup have double digit home runs on the season. And you're like, are we going to get just worked over and Texas beats them four to one. Yeah. Right. Um, but that said, in my untrained, non-critical baseball eye, I've been watching Ivan Melendez, the Mexican Mack truck, the Hispanic Titanic, the Coronado Comet, the Malbato from El Paso. The Latino Bambino. The Latino Bambino. And he has demonstrated, at least to my untrained eyes, complete ownership at the plate to the effect that He's now hitting the ball as it's making contact. He's looking at the pitcher with like those dead eyes, those shark eyes, right? dropping his bat in contempt and just starting his trot before it's even clear that the, the ball's even left the infield. Yeah. And it, it's one, it's going to earn him a fastball behind the ear at some point, which is awesome. But yeah. secondly, he's a big dude. I'd be careful like with in, that. Yeah, he's a big dude. He's all 6'3", 225, 230. But He's just demonstrating complete control of the plate, and I don't think that can be just a function of bad pitching. You're right. It's not, and, and there were some balls left upstairs for him, but he had one on a fastball. It was 94. It's on the outer third, more on the inner part of the outer third, not to get into the quadrants with you and get too math-technical uh, baseball nerd. I guess I just did. But usually you don't extend on that and hit that over the batter's eye in center field, right? You may yeah. really let that thing travel into the zone and still get extension and take that to right, which he has done. And that's what impresses me the most. So usually, just with my experience with college baseball and certainly having the chats with the Augies, Gus, um, which has been so cool for me in my career that I've been able to you know, talk with him when he started to come back to the, to the dish and then obviously my relationship with Augie. So and other coaches the axiom it happens more than not if you got a jc kid who's got big pop and is big like that there are ways to tie him up with good pitching and that gets to that Mm -hmm. elite pitching that i'm talking about he was technically doing things the last couple weeks dropping his hands um he's got really good control of the barrel he's competitive in the zone a long time it doesn't drag um I, i know i'm probably getting a little too technical here but i'm just telling you there there were there were obvious signs for me as a pure hitter that he was a much better pure hitter than gorilla ball going up there and just trying to hit a mistake. Now he's hit some Mm -hmm. mistakes and he's hammered them 450, 70 feet. But this guy also is a really good hitter. I I, I bet you the MLB scouts are are taking a close look and that sounds prisoner of the moment. I'm not saying that he's going to be a first rounder. I'm saying that they're, they're all of a sudden there's some attention to, Let's see how good of a hitter this guy is. And my guess is the tear he's on right now, he's not going to get many pitches. They've got a Tuesday and Wednesday game against smaller schools. I'm going to have the schedule up in front of me. Actually, Nevada's coming in. So they're playing Nevada Tuesday and Wednesday. So a little bit better than that. But we'll see if Nevada even gives him anything to hit. He may just be able to hit mistakes at this point on because that's all he's going to get. Well, my question is a managerial one which is K-State, obviously, just served up batting practice to Texas in the series. Uh, Texas just did what they wanted with K-State pitching. And it was also malpractice by Pete Hughes, the Kansas State How coach. are you not walking him on that last home run, Kevin? Okay, that, or at least pitching around him and not giving him, you know, uh, the breaking ball that was just up and sitting. If you look at the pitcher, the second it, he hit it, the pitcher just put his head down and thought, oh, my God, I'm sure I've been there. I'm sure when that left his hand, he knew oh, shit, I hung this. And he knew what was coming. I would say there was malpractice throughout the whole series because Pete Hughes wouldn't have guys warmed up. And I understand at least 55 was the best reliever I saw with stuff and everything all weekend, and he was one of those guys suspended. So they didn't have him Friday or Saturday. That hurt Kansas State, just like Texas had three infielders suspended, which, by the way, is such indicative of 2021. You don't need to suspend that many guys. They were talking shit. It got a little heated. If you want to throw out a Texas guy or a K-State guy that came over kind of that line, then do it. But you don't need to suspend three guys on each team. But that really hurt Kansas State. But Pete Hughes did not 
have guys warmed up. Like, all of a sudden, you just thought, why is no one in the bullpen? And that was coaching malpractice. But Texas also took advantage of not only bad pitching in that, but I'm telling you, man, like it's contagious. And this team, one through nine, is deep. They showed they're even deeper than that with Staley being able to come in. I mean, Staley had a, had a, had a couple good plays at short and also hit the ball. You had Lance Ford at third. Um, and then you had, oh my God, I always forget this kid's name. I'll look it up here in a second. Um, you had, uh, Dylan Campbell coming in at second and all those guys contributed. Paul, you know, this, when that happens, all of a sudden that's a blessing in disguise. And you've just got three more guys that are engaged. If they were maybe a little upset, cause they would have been starting other places. They're back into mm-hmm. it. And, and there's just trust within the whole thing. Like, you know what? We're pretty loaded. Well, let me ask you specifically, I'm going to drill down on Staley because he's shown a lot in some of the recent opportunities he's had. Is he a guy that you want to try to get into that lineup or are you comfortable with him being a utility guy who provides depth? That's a good question because the last couple months and weeks, and I even said it with Melendez very early on, hey, we need to get Melendez at bats. Like He needs to be in there and let's just see. Maybe he's that JC guy that we all see and you go, okay, when he's facing a lefty and and it's not 93 or hotter or a guy that he won't chase. He doesn't chase. Like he's like I said, he's a really good hitter. So there have been guys like that all year long that I've wanted to see get that opportunity. The ball explodes off of Dalton Porter and Dylan Campbell's bat, so I always want to see them get opportunities. Lance Ford could be a good pinch runner and defensive replacement. He's not necessarily that guy, although he came through this weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that that was a question because Mike Antico was hitting at the Mendoza line. And there were guys, mm-hmm. you know, and Cam Williams can be really good. He's led the team for the most most part this year in home runs. But his history would tell you he gets really hot and cold. So it hasn't necessarily happened uh, that much this year. That's a great thing. But I wanted to see other guys get opportunities. I think there could be 13 or 14 guys that could really be in this lineup, like Porter, like Campbell, that are just going to get better. And that's what I hope they use tomorrow. I hope I hope you see Campbell – uh, Porter is a DH, and but more importantly, Campbell and Staley in there somewhere. Staley's a veteran too, so you're not doing this for the future like you are with Campbell and some of the other guys. But he deserves it, and give those other guys a blow. They don't need to play five times a week. Hmm. Well, let me let me switch gears slightly. Then Texas seems to have the goods at the plate, but Texas has really lived and died, particularly in Omaha, because of the structure of that that sort of playoff. Your pitching is everything, right? So does Texas have the quality of pitching to make a run? And I'm looking specifically at both depth, but also starter quality, reliever, you know, your ace guy. Are we talk, I'm talking about Quintanilla, Madden, um, Kubitschek. Are these guys good enough? Are these guys at that level? I don't know. Um, and Stevens and Kubitschek have been a lot better the last month. And, and Stevens has been fantastic with his uh, – he's limited walks – and really been working quickly and throwing strikes. But he doesn't have fantastic stuff. Kubitschek is all about if he can get ground balls. He got a ton yesterday and then kind of work with his breaking ball on top of that. But, no, I mean, for what I've seen, no. I mean, this is nowhere near the strongest Saturday or Sunday guys. And I'm not even talking about, like, the years when Youngman and DeSherry were coming out of the pen where it's just one of those dream years. I'm talking about just for really good years at UT. But maybe they're look. This team's been better than I thought they'd be, and they've been dominant at home. And it's been an offensive, speed-oriented, pretty good defensive team. They're still sloppy with base running, and some of that is on Pierce, who I couldn't believe he sent Antico. That play never should have happened because he should not have been sent. And Pierce, Pierce is good for about one or two of those a week uh, in the third base coach. But in terms of pitching, Quintanilla, Nixon, Quintanilla is probably your best reliever right now. I mean, I do question their bullpen when they go up against good offenses. So, I mean, I, I think this team needs to be thinking about Omaha. I'd be shocked if, if they won the whole thing, but um, uh, it'd be a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I agree. Well, right now they're 25-8, and 10-2 and two in Big 12 play. I don't think they've really played the class of the Big 12 yet. No, they haven't. Um, is, they've is got Oklahoma State? They've got three series against top 15 RPI teams coming up. They got Oklahoma State coming up April 23rd. And that'll be in Stillwater. That'll be a huge test. Tech comes to Austin April 30th. And then TCU 
and all four of the teams grouping Texas in there could all host regionals. That's how good they are. I mean, like I said, top wow. 15 RPI teams. So, no, I mean, it's been incredibly front-loaded, which makes, you know, the wine go down a little little better, but also question kind of what's coming next. So we're going to find something out about Texas in the next three weeks. Yep. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to find out how legit they are. And they've rose as high as two in the polls today, some at three. I don't think they're that good of a team, just with my eyeballs with talent. But, God, I love this team. Getting back to the Texas women's basketball team this year, I knew they weren't the best team in the country or anywhere near it. This Texas baseball team is a hell of a lot closer to that top. But I just love the team. It's an easy team to root for. They're resilient. I, I mean, I, it's been a long time. I will say this. The, the, the teams that have answered this much that I've watched with Texas baseball – usually get to the final four and a couple have won it in my lifetime when you answer runs and you're that resilient they punch back seems like every inning it doesn't matter if someone gets two they come back with two and sometimes come back with three or four like they don't let momentum slip and and you saw with that skirmish I'm uh, I'm just going to call it that that you saw Cam Williams Trey Faltini those guys are stepping up they were ready to fight and yep. and it does kind of tell you about this team. And then you had Mitchell Daly, who's the, you know, looks like, uh, if we're doing the casting, looks like Macaulay Culkin, right? Um, and <laughs> But is a hell of a player. Macaulay Culkin with an edge. Yeah, exactly. And he stepped up and and was ready to go. And I thought, all right, these guys, these guys are tight-knit. There's something else going on with the guy that they're talking to at the top step before and after every at-bat. And when you get that shot on the dugout, there's Cam Williams when he's not even about to at bat, you know, having at bat, talking to five-time All Star. Believe it, I believe that's it. Maybe six. Troy Tillowitzki, who's been a mm-hmm. huge addition to this team. And the way these guys swings are, they're letting the ball travel. They're still getting extension. And guys like Doug Hodo, we've seen it with Melendez, Arduan. A lot of these guys, you can tell they're really trying to let the ball travel while getting extension. They've been more competitive in the zone since any time since David Pierce has been here. And since the staff has pretty much been the same, I will look at that. And I know Jeff Howe asked about it a little bit just to kind of, um, you know, just to see what his influence was. And Melinda said Tulo has been a big influence. So I think technically and then also mentally with the approach, he's been huge because the approach and the swings look different from previous years. A lot of gold in that. Um, I want to talk about two things. One you said, and one I might throw in, and you tell me what you think. The, the resilience is such an underrated piece of any sport, but certainly baseball, where you can get put into these sort of competitive lulls, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and you have to find a way to kind of get after it and keep your focus. And, and it feeds off. Uh, you feed off your, each other, right? You know, particularly power, particularly getting after it. But, you know, it can also work for pitching. And yeah. um, I, I got to think that some of that resilience could also be a little bit of insecurity, talking about that depth, right? I, I, I think there's a fear no doubt. of some of these guys that if I don't perform, I'm going to get sat down. Yeah, and especially – now, they would never do it with Faltini, but I'm sure Faltini no. – is thinking because he's so good defensively. He's thinking, man, what am I hitting? And and I don't have it in front of me. But you know, he's he's been about a 240, 250 hitter, and kind of around there. And and I yeah, I, he's two forty eight with a three eighty six slugging. So there you he, go. He's not killing it. He's not killing it. You know, and Tico has seen that thing shot up, and he's at two thirty nine. I mean, if anyone was was close to getting pulled, it would have been okay. You know, all of a sudden, Mike, we're gonna have Porter come in there or. You know, I still want to see what Tanner Witt can do with the bat. He's got what ten at bats and three hits, and I know the, I know they're trying to focus with him in the in the bullpen, which is the other guy that I missed. Um, with a freshman, you always kind of wonder kind of where their arm is right now. But once Austin Todd went out, you know, you mentioned Murphy, Murphy Staley, who can play a lot of different positions. Man, this 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 is a pretty deep team, and Peyton Powell has a beautiful swing. Like I forgot the last time I'm looking at it right now that I went through that many guys, and I thought. Wow, this is a deep team, and a lot of that is because of the kind of what happened with the pandemic, and that Zubia is back, and you know, and Tico transfers in. Now he may have done that anyway, 
but Austin Todd came back. DJ Petrinsky, who hit an oppo home run, is back. It's a deep team. It's a fun team in terms of their ceiling with talent. We're going to figure out. We're going to figure it out with those three series. Well, and so here's my ad, and you tell me what you think. You can shoot it down or, or not. These guys are bigger than a lot of Texas teams. I no, mean, physically. No, no doubt. Yeah. And I don't just mean Texas has always had the Ivan Melendez size guy. There's always been one of those guys. What you don't see are the other infielders and other guys who are all 6'1", 205, 5'11", 205, right? These guys all got some, some arms and some asses and some thighs on them. Yeah. And, and you haven't seen that with Texas baseball teams. The, the, the worst of Augie teams that used to irritate me sometimes were little guys. Like little scrappers, little runners, right? And, and there's a, an element of that to baseball, certainly at the college level. But, boy, it really helps if, if you got some man strength in your lineup. And it looks like this, this group has it. So there's, if you talk to college baseball coaches and guys that recruit, they'll say there's two guys you go out and try and get. You go get donkeys or you get cheetahs. And mm-hmm. Augie had a lot of cheetahs. Now, I'll tell you the best way is to compliment that. So uh, even in 2002, when a guy I was friends with, Matt Rosenberg, was in right field, I just thought, oh, my God, we've got better hitters on this team. But Augie knew the importance and definitely played into it with defense, and they ended up winning the national championship. And But I, I wanted Carmichael out there a little bit more. Carmichael proved that in that championship game, but Augie also gave him the start. So um, – you got to kind of balance it, and I, I think they probably went more. They were going more project, too. They were getting some guys, I thought, early on too much in his tenure here that I'm like, dude, he may be a good baseball player by 24, but he's going to have to have played a little bit. And Yeah. You know, but but they've added, they still have that athleticism, and you see that with this team's speed, and you see it with size. So you're right. I mean, these guys do look physical. They look a lot more physical. Um, I've seen way too much college baseball to know that doesn't necessarily win you games. But when you bunt and do some of the things they've been doing and play defense and really run and then let it rip in advantageous leverage counts, then good things will happen. And we're seeing it. I haven't I haven't seen this ballpark play this small since since the bats were out of control in ninety eight. Yeah. Well, to that point, even some of the, the cheetahs, as you classify them, they're two hundred pound guys. We're talking about Faltini yeah. and Eric Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- th- that's not; those aren't small guys. And and, and in Augie, do you think you know, Antico? Do you think Antico's ever missed a leg day? No, Antico has not missed <laughs> leg day. I'm I'm proud of that kid. Um, and so I I think that's a big difference to me. Even some of the Gus teams that those guys used to sometimes be 155, 160 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. And our cheetahs now weigh 195, 200 pounds. Yep. And then you got big hosses like Melendez and, and Cam Williams and, and Zach Zubia who have a real plate presence. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I think you're right. You can under, I mean, if you're a big, strong guy, but you suck at baseball, who gives a damn, but these guys are good at baseball. They're big, strong, durable guys. And they all have a little pop. They all have that potential. And, you know, don't underestimate the fact that if your number eight guy can still put it over the, the fence, realistically, if, if you, if you make a mistake, that's, that's a, a cool thing to put in the back of the mind of a pitcher. Yeah, it is. And even the guys that, that aren't ripped and, and or at least huge are Mitchell Daly, Dylan Campbell. Campbell's just more shorter, but he's pretty stout for his size. But he's still a freshman. I mean, he's going to get stronger. Those guys have pop. Both of them do. Mm-hmm. And, and they've both gone yard. So that, that's kind of where – I mean, I, I just like the balance of this team. I don't know. I mean, you talked about pitching. That'll be the biggest question mark. I mean, you've got Ty Madden, who actually really even ha- hasn't had his best stuff the last three outings, but just shows you how good he is. He's sitting at a 1.69 ERA. Kintani has been been great. We got to find out more about Southard and kind of what he's done because he just hadn't really been in there in, in huge spots. Pete Hansen looked the best he has, and I can't trust the gun for the LHN. No offense to them, but you just can't trust me. Um, but if he was really popping low 90s as he came in from relief to get some outs on Sunday, that was as good as Pete Hansen has looked. And if he gets back to anywhere close to where he was last year, then I'd feel a lot better about it and certainly feel better about it because of the Saturday and Sunday guys. Stevens has been great. Kubitschek, they've been great. They're under three ERAs now. That's amazing. Well, Kevin, 
We just did a solid 30 minutes of Longhorn baseball. I, How high are you right now? I can't believe that you just did that. Yeah, I mean, for all you kids out there, say no to drugs. Just get something, get a passion like that, and then have a friend like Paul who allows you to just float that stuff out there. But you know what? I We do have Texas baseball fans. I know that because we've got Austin Wood and Randy Boone and – you can see it on the timeline from people that even aren't Texas baseball fans, but people that are just usually Texas football fans, to be honest, that they're pretty excited about this team. And a lot of that is the style. I mean, the reality is people see Melendez and that stuff, and that is going to draw people out and draw more attention than winning those three, two sacrifice games. You're, you're hundred percent right. And you know, I look, it's part bit, part reality with me and baseball, right? I like to mock baseball, Partly to give Kevin a hard time, partly because I like to mock baseball. Right. Uh, but it's also a bit. I hope people have figured that out. And I also, think they we have, have. Some, some outstanding listeners, like you mentioned, Boone, Wood. These guys are total studs at Texas and great podcast supporters. Uh, and Kevin is still trying to get them to throw the ball at my head <sighs> since I said I'm. Since I said I might be able to make contact with one of their 100 pitches once, yeah, uh, boy, that boy, you've really that was di- real bragging on my part. You've you've really dialed down that bet since it got serious. Oh, I, I said I was going to go yard on him. Is that, is <laughs> no, that your story you didn't. Now? You didn't say that, but you thought you thought you'd get a hit. I, I think I, that, I I'm reexamining that because you it thought you'd get a hit, like with, with, with good contact. And I, I was I, telling I said you, hundred pitches. I, I, I know, I know. And I was telling you, with two hundred, with those guys, if they really wanted to, you would make good contact. I wouldn't either. Okay, you're, you're right. And here's what I've always said could, could save me. Both Randy and Austin are a little out of shape now, and I think <laughs> they'd be so angry because you'd fire them up with a bunch of lies of what I said about them. Oh, I, totally I think would. there's a chance they could throw out their arm before we hit the 100th pitch, and I'd be like, oh, it's a draw. It's a draw. Yeah. It's a tie. It's a tie. We'll never know. We'll never know, guys. We'll never know. In fairness, they admitted all, all of that on Twitter and said, we're not the same. We're out of shape. Or we're not in the same shape we were, and I'm not sure my arm could go. Although Austin would uh, throw 169 pitches. Come on. Yeah, well, that's good. He, he's, he's plastic, man. He's, and this is his last moment of real glory, right? Take, <laughs> right. Down, take down an arrogant podcast host. Oh, God. Hey, oh, man, that's awesome. you know what is blowing up here in Austin? What's I mean, that? I keep on reading articles, and I'm reading national articles, too, about the real estate in Austin and just how <laughs> how crazy of a time it is, obviously, if you're trying to buy, but also if you're trying to sell. Oh, there's no doubt about that, Kevin. And we've got a couple of folks who can help you with that. First of all, we're going to talk about Laura Baker. She is a fantastic realtor for the Andy Allen Group of Keller Williams. And right now, if you are in Centex, and that means anywhere from northern San Antonio up to mm, Hutto? Mm. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see what Laura wants to do. You need to reach out to her because she's fantastic at what she does. She is on top of it, I've been talking to her recently quite a bit, and she's already gotten a response from the podcast, and she's psyched about it, and we need to get her some more. And do it for yourself, because she's really good at what she does. You need to reach out to her at 512-784-0505. Tell her that Paul and Kevin sent you. And what she can do, if you're particularly interested in selling, she will meet with you, do a no-obligation CMA. It takes about 45 minutes. She's going to pull a bunch of comps in your neighborhood. She's going to ask you some basic information about your home to help her analysis. She's going to come to your house. She's going to walk through it, and she's going to show you exactly what you can do within your budget and what that could return if you put that on the market. And there's very few realtors who are able to do that both accurately and also tactically. Because sometimes it's easy to put 150 grand into your remodel of your house before you sell it, Kevin. But if you're only going to recoup 120 of that, all you did was waste a bunch of time, have a bunch of headaches to take a loss. Yep. Don't think that way. You want a strategic, tactical realtor who understands the contracting process, cost of materials, not just someone who smiles and shows your home. You need a real partner. And that's Laura Baker at Keller Williams, the Andy Allen Group. 512 512- Seven eight four zero five zero five. Get that market analysis. There's no obligation, and find out where you are in this insane Austin market. And then once you've done that, Kevin, 
and you're ready to move or ready to sell or ready to buy, you got to contact Gabe Winslow. Talk about a guy who loves his baseball, Kevin, and he is going to be thrilled with this podcast. (laughs) I was teasing him. I was uh, texting him before the pod saying, Gabe, you're going to be delighted and that we're going to talk baseball today on the podcast. The downside is we're going to talk baseball on the podcast, and I hope we have listeners by the time we get to your ad. How dare you? I know. He giggled. He LOL'd at my witticism. And uh, you know, I, I was, was going to give you a Paul Rudd shout out, but you're more Johnny Drama, and I can see the mix between two. <laughs> you know? Hey, you know what? I have heard Matt Dillon, Paul Rudd, Johnny Drama. Some, <laughs> yeah, particularly as as these gentlemen unfortunately have aged. I that's know. I, I know. Any compliment I've got that's good, it's always when they've aged. And I thought, oh, oh man, I, I'm, why I'm did you why did you couch that? Just give me a name, Kevin. I'm a week out from Wilford Brimley comps. <laughs> But, hey, here's a comp. Once you've gotten the comps from Laura about the market, the comp that won't be beaten is Gabe and his incredible mortgage team, 832-557-1095. That's a Houston area code, but he's serving all the great state of Texas and these United States of America. So give Gabe a call. He's fantastic at what he does. If you mention this podcast, $500 off your closing. No questions asked. And if you offer the code... Handsome lesbian boy. He might even give you more off. <laughs> anyway, you got to give Gabe a call. He's really good at what he does. If he's not your first call, make him your last call. 832-557-1095. If you are in the market with your house, either selling or buying, soup to nuts solution for you in the form of Laura Baker and Gabe Winslow. Kevin, thank you for that. Phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, what are we going to talk about next? Do we want to... We want to play in his recent comments. Oh, we can get into that. Uh, quickly, though, did you watch the Masters at all? I don't watch the Masters because I try not to take naps during the day. <laughs> wow, golf bores you that much? The craziest thing, Kevin, um, my fraternity big brother was a scratch golfer. Damn. And, and he says to me, hey, man, um, do you want to like go out and hit a few balls? I can show you how to golf. Like, I mean, I know you don't really play, Um and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. How, how stupid am I? Do you know how much people would pay to have a scratch golfer give them a two-hour personal private lesson? Yeah. I mean, I, I would right now. I'm an absolute moron. So anyway, the guy who finished second was a guy named Will Zalatoris. And, okay. and he, um, he looks like one of the characters in Happy Gilmore. And so people were just having a blast with it. Apparently he has fun with it, but I didn't, you know, I, I've seen Happy Gilmore, but it's been a long time, so I kind of looked at it. And, yeah, he looks almost exactly like him. Not Adam, Adam Sandler, I'm assuming. Not Adam Sandler. Yeah, I think it was his caddy who Sandler tackled. Like I said, I haven't seen that movie forever, which is going to just kill Brad Kellner. Check out the One to Know podcast with BK uh, and our man Joe Cook because I think that's BK's favorite movie ever. Is it really? Yeah, which that's going a little too far with your Adam Sandler love, right? That's that's going a little far. Uh, well, yeah, we got to find out what he thinks of Little Nicky. Was that's another? That, but that's, that's the one serious one that he did, right? Recently? No, 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 no. That okay. that was. Uh, yeah, he like rides around on a scooter, like looking at the city with eyes of wonder. Uh, some stupid movie. I don't know. No, he did one recently that's supposed to be good, um, where he's a a diamond broker. Yeah, and it's serious, gotta, right? Yeah, yeah, and he has a gambling problem, which I know that's why Brad Kellner likes that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, what was the one? He did one, Rain Over Me. He does, it's with Don Cheadle. That was another one he did. Okay. It's you know, when the, the comedic actor tries to be serious. Uh, but yeah, come on, Adam. Let's, let's make some fart <laughs> jokes, man. Yeah, yeah, get back to your strange voices and everything, you know? It's like, get back to talking about like yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, I did love that CD in high school, though. Uh, Lunch Lady oh, Land. That was the best. Lunch Lady Land. Yeah. I went back and listened. Yeah, they, the, the goat in the back of the truck. Do you remember that one? The random one? <laughs> yes. No. I have a goat. I have a goat in my truck. Oh, dude. There was some sick oh. stuff on that CD. Very Amazing. sick stuff. All right. Uh, yeah, let's get into to Chuck here before we get to some Texas football. We are going to talk Texas football, but we're keeping you around. And Charles Barkley. We always love to talk about him. I think I told you I had the fortune of actually hanging out with Charles a little bit 
quickly for like I've, an hour. I've heard he's just about the coolest guy ever, and I've seen the picture. You sent me the picture. Yeah, he, he was absolutely awesome and was, was fun to talk to, and I can see why everyone loves him. But I think one of the reasons we also love him and listen to him when we mute out a lot of people and tune out just a lot of people uh, that, that maybe – sheep or other that some actually will listen to is because I really believe what he's saying and I also don't think he's coming from a side I have no idea if he's a Republican Democrat Libertarian my guess would be he's probably an independent uh, just from the way he speaks but he will call out people that need to be called out and he did that recently I ended up retweeting it and it got a lot of love on Twitter it's tough to almost get unanimous love but that guy seemed to get it with that comment and seems to get it a lot because he's as real as real gets. Yeah, I love Charles Barkley. I loved him as a player. I loved him in the NBA, NBA uh, and I love him now. I think he, he's so funny. And what, the funniest thing about the segment is it was during the NCAA tournament, right. and I'm sure I'll butcher it, but Ernie Johnson earnestly throws to Charles to speak about some woke topic, and he's supposed to, of course, agree and say his thing. And Charles is like... I don't know about that, Ernie. You know, <laughs> I meet lots of white people. White people are awesome. Black people are pretty awesome. Most of them are awesome. I like people. People all get along. We got Democrats and Republicans. They suck. They trying to put us against each other, divide and conquer. And they suck. And we trying to make everybody hate each other. Everybody get along. I like everybody. Everybody <laughs> mostly like each other. That's how society works. It's not like this Twitter. Uh, I don't know why we're doing all that. Why are we trying to destroy ourselves? You pretty much and, nailed that. And by the way, I you are not great at impressions. You're great at a lot of things. I think that's your best impression. That was really good. Charles Barkley. Yeah, that's the one most likely to get me in trouble. And you know what? I won't get in trouble with any black people. If you can do a decent Charles Barkley impression, they're like, hey, that was pretty good. Yeah. The only people that get irritated are? <laughs> uh, white, rich people that live in my neighborhood. Yes. Dri- yes. Driving a Volvo, dri- driving a Volvo, with their yes. mask on alone. Yes, <laughs> I think what you're doing is a form of white patriarchy, and you're no, yeah, it's it's like it's it's the funniest thing in the world. Like we're supposed to all pretend we talk exactly the same, and Charles Barkley doesn't have like this awesome, alluring Southern accent, right? From Alabama, right. Leeds, Alabama, baby. <laughs> And we're supposed to pretend we all talk exactly the same, Kevin. That that was a good one. I know, and I hope you don't get any shit for that. I tell you who wouldn't give you shit for that. Who's that? Charles Barkley. <laughs> no, not at all. Which is kind of the the main thing we've always lost we've lost sight of is that well, what does the actual subject think? Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah, he'd say you're not as good looking as me, but no, that was all right. I I, I loved it though. The divide and conquer. Um, and and look, I'm sure that if you know, we don't want to get too political on this thing, but the reality is, I think our politics are we we've got a lot of questions about both of these serious sides, and and it just seems like you know everyone's kind of in an echo chamber. So it's nice when someone drops what I think is the truth on stuff like that, and it is easy to make us hate each other, and it's also advantageous for both major parties to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, divide and conquer. Yeah, I think— uh, Good impression, though, man. That's what I take away Sir from Charles, that. Charles, one of my favorite dudes, and also the dude he will be most difficult to explain to young people who never saw him play because he doesn't make sense. He really doesn't, especially the way he looks now. Like Kevin, well, yeah. Like if, Ke- look- if Kevin James played him, I'd say, dude, you're not you're not big enough. Yeah, well, you know that'd be much better casting probably than Sean <laughs> Payton. Would. Well, yeah, I mean he's going to be difficult to explain without like showing the clips. Yeah. Because the questions go like this: uh, How big was he? Uh, well, he was about six five. Really six four and a half, but he was listed at six six. But he wasn't six six because we saw him next to Jordan, and he was about two inches yeah. shorter. And and sometimes he was really fat. Yep. Uh, what do you, what did what, he play? Yeah, and also like when was he fat? Like later on? Yeah, but also before he was at his best in MVP years late in Philadelphia. Oh, so even at yeah. that age, it's like yeah. And then ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, he got back into shape. Yeah, and uh, they'd be like, "Oh, was he an uh, incredible shooter?" No, no. Uh, what 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 did he do? Well, he was the best rebounder in the NBA at six four and a half. And anytime he grabbed the ball, 
uh, as a defensive rebound. He just put it on the floor, sprint the other way, and dare you to try to draw a charge as he went and dunked. Right. And was and, a, and also, was it was a pretty good passer. He, he would actually learn how to good, pass to Kevin Johnson or Dan Marley, who's open. Good passer. And uh, also in the paint, he would just put his ass on you right. and repeatedly get rebounds and then go up and <laughs> score while you fouled him. You're right. He's and impossible to explain, especially because you, you and I, young people, will, will know that know us, will, will listen, know that we'll call bullshit on guys that couldn't play today. And so well, they're it, like, like, wait a minute, but he kind of fits a lot of those guys you said couldn't play today. But he could. But he could. I mean, you just know he yeah. could. Yeah. He just would. Force of nature. And it's like LeBron James is the easiest thing to explain, which is, uh, well, imagine if Carl Malone – had Magic Johnson's skill set, yep. but he could also shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Any of Michael <laughs> any of Michael Jordan's defensive IQ. Yeah. And and then you're like, Charles Barkley? Well, kind of fat and short power forward, um, who no one could stop. And he was played at the height of NBA power forwards and big men, and none of them could stop him. So yeah, I can't really explain it. And also he couldn't shoot threes and he shot threes all the time but he still shot almost 60% from the floor. So, yeah, I can't explain it. I wonder if Jimmy Kimmel still, still does his call Malone that he used to do. I doubt. I uh, doubt that. Probably not. Hmm. That was funny. It was funny. All right, so we got our Chuck in there. I think you make a good point that he's one of those guys that would be really tough to actually try and describe and explain to people. So, Hey, Texas football. I know uh, we're over the COVID thing. We got spring practices. We're hearing reports. I think, uh, you, you know, both of us are, are tied in, and certainly you got to check out Inside Texas. Let me start there because I do, you know, I got Jeff Howe. I've got uh, good friends that work for 24 7. I think they do a great job. There are a lot of different sites that do a great job, but you guys, uh, you guys have put together a team, man, and you're kicking ass. You got a, you got a burner account over there, Kevin? Uh, I do not, but uh, I will get any of the free articles that like Joe sends out. And then sometimes on our computer here at work, they'll have articles up. So I'll check those out. You cheap son of a bitch. Yeah, I know. Um, well, you, you should give me a free one anyway. So. All right. All right. I'll see what I can do. I, I know a guy. I okay. know a guy at Inside Texas. I'll put in a good word. For all you. right. All right. But yeah, wait, we did get some insight. Obviously, media was not present at the scrimmage and uh yeah i don't know what you heard kevin what i heard is they've really they've had some injuries they're obviously down on the defensive line a little bit uh on the offensive line and and a couple of receivers are out as well as everyone knows so i thought they just really been working the running game working some rpo stuff with the quarterbacks they're hudson card and casey thompson both getting equal weight at one and two and uh, what I've heard more from everyone who was privy to the scrimmage, which is mostly a lot of former UT players, and Sark, uh, props to him for inviting all those guys back and making them feel welcome. And they all said that Bijan Robinson is an absolute freak. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, that, to me, so, that, that's not a, you know, all this is glass half full. No, we know what he is. We know what he is, and apparently Sark has really been stubborn, along with Flood, with the running game and getting the timing down on that. Yeah, what, do, what do you mean by we, stubborn? Explain that. Well, the, the run game, contrary to what most people think, they think the run game is just like mashing people, and there's some element of that. But, you know, if you're doing a lot of zone principles and blocking, a lot of it's coordination, and a lot of it requires timing and your back being synced up and timed up with your offensive line. And making sure and your eyes are in the right spot in terms of reading Making stuff. sure your eyes are in the right spot. You know where that hole can appear if they line up in this front. And when you can get your offensive line and your running back on the same page, ooh, it looks pretty. And yeah. Texas fans got a little taste of what that looked like last year with Kansas State and Colorado games where they really weaponized Bijan. They had Jake Major starting at center. Andre Carrick showed some great feet, reach-blocking people out on the end, running outside zone. And, and when you really run outside zone well, Kevin, often what you'll have is the defense overextend out to the boundary. And so what you need a back to do is turn outside zone into a cut-and-go inside run. And that's what Bijan kept breaking off massive runs on. It's effectively a one-step cutback run that goes inside that looks like it's going outside. So... Uh, that's what they've been working on, and apparently Bijan is making people look very foolish. 
That is good to hear. Hey, how good of a technical coach is Stan Drayton? Because, I mean, you could say not good, and I'd say I don't care, re-sign him, because uh, that job is so important. It's about getting the Jimmy and the Joes in there, and he's proven that. But um, I guess because Zeke came didn't come out of nowhere, we knew he was really good, but the fact that he just got better and better at Ohio State, I figured he's a total package. Not many coaches are. What have you heard? What do you know about how good of a technical coach Stan Drayton is? He's a good coach, and, and in my opinion – uh, you really separate yourself as a running back coach, not saying here's your points of contact when you're carrying the ball or, you know, see the hole. Um, what, where you really, I think you can distinguish yourself is in pass protection and as a pass receiver out of the backfield. Because hmm. yeah. if you can really teach those guys how to pick up a blitz, then their effectiveness as, a, as an every down back is, is huge. And then also if they can be a receiving threat, because B. John Robinson, a very natural receiver, um, as is Roshan Johnson. If you can teach them some, some fine points of running routes and those little arc routes out of the backfield and how to get ISOed on a linebacker and, and create space, um, that can be a huge value add to your football team. And Sark loves to throw to the running backs. So that is something if you followed him at Washington, at USC, uh, even when it's, with his brief stint in the NFL with the Raiders, he will throw the ball to the running back position, and I love that. I think that's one of those things in football that we don't take enough advantage of, and it's often free money. Yeah, I totally agree. And sometimes you get your best matchups there, too. You get phenomenal matchups there because far too often you've got these physical teams that they want to go out there and God help them, like what Ohio State did against Alabama in the national title game. You, and we're going to stop the run, Oof. right? You got the, you got the old school Greg Williams mentality, and you got three linebackers out there, and that means one of those linebackers is isoed on that running back if he goes out and releases in the flat. And boy, if you can get a little time and, and dress it up with a little candy, and do those double back reverse screens, or or give your running back some time to release on on a on you know on a, a cut and go kind of pattern, or or even just a big rounded arc release. Yep. That's easy money. Definitely, definitely easy money. Uh, what else are you hearing? Um, because I, I know that the main thing that, I guess, after their scrimmage, Sark was just happy they ran that many plays and no one was injured. So that kind of gets back to your point about just trying to stay healthy. What about the secondary? I mean, these guys have been space cadets with the ball in the air. I, I guess that's one of those. I'm not going to buy it until I see it on a Saturday. Yeah, I think you, you, can't, buy, you can't be a buyer on this until you see it on a Saturday, but – I've, I've heard Josh Thompson has made positive progress, uh, which is really good because he's a physical guy. And, and, boy, he certainly looks the part. Uh, Deshaun Jameson, he's got the quickness, man. He can punish you if you make a mistake as a quarterback and you think you're just going to throw lazily on rhythm when he's th- on off coverage. He'll go take it and go the other way. And then they've been pushed by Darian Dunn, and they also love Keaton Crawford. So the Texas coaches, I think, are actually privately very optimistic about the cornerback position. Hmm. So – uh, that's good stuff, and and I think Sark feels pretty good about some of the talent in the program. So I think it's really just a matter of developing that talent, getting everyone on the same page, and and frankly weaponizing it. Man, there's Tom Herman thought it was cowardly to to have a deception in your office, you know, in your offense, and he, he just he's into the whole, you know, if you see a brick wall, keep running into it until it falls down. And, and Sark is like, you know, we could walk around it. Right. Yeah, maybe we should have taken more out of the sledgehammer routine. I mean, that was <laughs> it was kind it was kind of on the nose about who he was. He was he was trying he was trying to tell us in so many ways, yet we just we were hard headed back. The fabled sledgehammer chiff when they're doing the remodel in the locker room. That, he will never live that down. That is that is a that is a dude. And by the way, I think we could all like have that secret fear if you've never picked up a heavy piece of equipment or a tool everyone's a little privately concerned in our increasingly white collar world that you're going to look just like tom herman in yeah that clip, right those things are weighted so oddly too so you could you could be they are. like you could be lifting and in good shape and you pick one of those up and it's like whoa I, okay um i'm just trying to figure out how to swing this thing well i used to um swing a hammer into a tire right like as a workout yeah. And so I kind of got used to it, but the first couple of times I did it, and I remember the first couple of times I chopped wood, I'd never chopped wood until I was an adult. And 
I went uh, with my dad to Alaska. We got this incredible cabin out in the woods and backpacked in and saw like 50 bears eating salmon every day. I mean, it was amazing. That sounds incredible. And we had to go chop our own wood. You know, we had, we had yeah. a wood burning little oven in this, in this cabin. And I go out there to chop my own wood. I swear to God, Kevin, my first swing, I almost took my foot off. Yeah. Yep. That, that's what you got to be careful with, which is why I've done that before. And they're like, all right, start slow. Yeah, <laughs> and then I, I once you like get a feel for it, and once once you split one, that's a good feeling. It's a great feeling. It's it the really best feeling is. in the world. So satisfying, and I felt like such a white collar guy the yeah. first couple of times I swung it, and I was like, okay, I gotta I gotta figure this out, and then I did, and it's the best feeling in the world to just split a, a block of wood. It's just the sound, the feel. You don't even feel it in your hands as you make contact if you hit it right on the proper grain. Oh, it's an amazing feeling. It's orgasmic. It is. It is orgasmic. What other uh, orgasmic thoughts do you have for our Texas football crackheads out there? Well, I don't have any. I wish I now regret that word choice. But uh, <laughs> I Sorry, I played it I up do, a little too high there. I do have a recommendation, and I know you're going to have a recommendation after my recommendation, which is for those of you who have not listened to Books on Pod yep. by our mutual friend, your longtime friend, Trey Elling. You are missing out, Longhorn fans. He is, you might know him from 104.9. He's got his own radio show. He also used to produce Kevin's radio show. That's how I met him. Trey's a great guy, very intellectually uh, curious, and he has a series of authors on. And you know what Trey does, Kevin, that's so amazing and revolutionary? He listens. He listens, Mm. and he actually reads their book and asks them questions. And you could hear these authors, and he has a whole range of phenomenal authors uh, on on the pod, and you could tell they're just delighted to talk to him. Yeah, because he's actually intellectually curious. He actually read the book, and he lets them talk. Yeah. So I would recommend everybody go listen to Books on Pod. If you're a reader, if you have any intellectual interest whatsoever, go listen to Trey Elling, and uh, I think you'll be happy. There's something that you're gonna like there, and you know he's informed and he listens, and it's tough to get those two things. I think he is just a great interviewer and I think the pod is fantastic I'm so proud of him so yeah I mean check it out he's kind of ramping it up a little bit he's cranking out a lot of them but like I said I mean he it's going to be all over all over the map and that's one of the things I really like about it but yeah very curious about just a lot of different things so I know he'll appreciate that shout out I know that uh, we've appreciated having a relationship with David McClellan fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial he does specialize in financial life coaching which is wow is that big right now Uh, especially with all the things that have changed over the last year and he can really help you out with retirement planning find out what that financial freedom number is for you and ways you could get there quicker. I think that's what all of us are trying to do and really build your wealth and achieve some freedom. So David can help you out. He's a multinational champion swimmer here on the 40 acres. He is a uh, he's a winner, but with regulations, that's pretty much all we can say. Give him a call, though. He's already helped out a lot of people. He'll give you a free consultation. So just mention the podcast. It's 312-933-8823. 312 312- 933-8823 or just email them dmcclellan at formfinfin.com yep absolutely and you know i was just talking to david the other day just chatting about random stuff and just a solid guy like Very. really bright guy but great head on his shoulders so easy to work with and just sharp as a tack and he's i mean if you drew up a financial advisor it would look it would look like David McClellan. Yeah, so. I, I think a lot of that is because he's been you know he's been doing this for a long time, but he has experience throughout his whole career of seeing every angle of of how this works, and I, I think that you know I mentioned that to my dad who didn't do that and was a good uh, financial advisor said that's huge. I mean he understands how all this works and and sees it from from different lenses. There's a lot of power in knowing how the sausage gets made. Man, and we'll there leave is. It at that. There is. All right, buddy. Well, that we, was a good we hour. About, yeah, and you're you're full of, you're full of piss and vinegar now. Why? You got to talk baseball. Oh yeah. Oh no. I I, I didn't realize we we're going to talk that that long, and we'll talk about it on the show. So we will not bore people as much if that boredom. But 
Um, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot of excitement on the 40 acres. Obviously, there's excitement with Sark. There's excitement with Beard. And we can maybe even get into that next podcast. You know, that one lone Texas Tech recruit uh, is coming. And I'm hearing some stuff about maybe some guys that are going to be staying. So there's a lot of optimism with all the sports. And then with David Pierce in his fifth year, I think we were kind of questioning, okay, is this going to – are we going to have to make another hire at some point in the next couple of years? And, man, that is that has been – for anyone that was looking for that, rightfully so, that has been put aside because they they've got a damn good baseball team right now, and I'm pretty proud of how he's built that program. It, it's a fun team, so that, that's what we're looking for. Yeah, look, if you're a more casual baseball fan, as I am, and not an expert like Kevin – this is a hell of a team to watch. Yeah. Take the time and go watch them play baseball. You'll be thoroughly entertained. And, uh, hey, man, we're Texas diehards. You've got Texas across your chest. Um, I'm going to pull for you. And if you could make it fun in, in the meanwhile, then I'm really, I'm really in. And I'm in on this baseball team. Cool. All right, buddy. Have a good week. Talk to you next week. Adios.